welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, we, mel- we welcome Michelle Tricot. Michelle is the CEO and co-founder of Airbyte, the new open source ELT standard for replicating data from applications, APIs, and databases. Michelle, I knew I was going to mess up the day. Michelle has been working in data engineering for the past 15 years. Michelle, welcome to the show. Sorry for her. I almost had it. I almost had the name right. And I botched it in the second time I said, I get it right the first time. Anyway, my apologies. We will, um, uh, we will make sure that your name is spelled correctly in the show notes. So, but before we get into the details of, of your current work with Airbyte, you know, why don't we just start? And this is like what I do with all of the, my first time guests. Just take a few minutes and help us understand your career story and like why data engineering is a calling for you and, and what led you to creating Airbyte? Like, what is it, um, that you want to do? And we'll talk a lot about Airbyte, uh, throughout the course of the show. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. No worries about Michael. I get it every single day. <laughs> I, and we even uh, prepped. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I've been uh, working in data for the for the past 15 years. So I started my uh, my career in 2007, and I started in the field of financial data, like how, and that's really where I learned what. Um, building a business around data was and i was an engineer um and what we're doing was really gathering estimates data from analysts and making sure you can central all of that into a database create consensus that trader and people will actually invest in companies can actually leverage uh and it's really about and, and the thing is it this experience taught me about you have pieces of data everywhere mm-hmm. every single piece of data if you just take it by yourself, it gives you a partial view of the world. But if one way you can actually take all these little pieces across all these analysts who all have different opinion and you can bring it into a centralized place, this is when the data becomes valuable. And that has become uh, a thesis for, for my career since then. Uh, and so I, yeah, so that was in, uh, in Paris. Uh, and in 2011, I actually moved in the, in the United States in San Francisco. And I started in a company called LiveRamp, which was back in the day, a very small startup today. It's a, it's a public company. And there I basically reinforced my, uh, knowledge and expertise around data and, I stayed there for, for six years and I was uh, head of integration and director of engineering. And what LiveRamp was doing was really about how do you connect customer data that com- your customers have and make it available online. Um, so basically, you're, you're a company like Toyota, let's say, and you have a lot of very, very relevant data about your customers. And at the time, we were bringing this uh, big change of how we do digital advertising. And the thing is, this data is extremely good if you want to do advertising. And at that point, at LiveRamp, what we build is like thousands of different connectors that would be able to pull data from these companies and make this data available in uh, the MarTech and AdTech ecosystem. So integrating with this very fragmented uh, market, like the Google, the AppNexus, like every single uh, player that you can think of. And... There, that's where I learned about like the manufacturing of connecting data, um, which is really 
a very well thought through uh, process where you need first to build the connectors, then you need to maintain the connector and you need to scale the connector because you get the more successful you become, the more data you get. So I think when I, when I left, we were moving hundreds of terabytes of data every single day. Mm-hmm. And then moved to a different startup. Uh, and there, same thing. So this one was in a different domain, more around like self-driving cars and mapping technology. And, but same thing, it's just always about bringing data, centralizing the data and make a product out of that data. And that's when I realized that, so every single company in the world is just rebuilding the same pipes over and over again, rebuilding the same connectors over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, prompted uh, me and my, my co-founder to, uh, to start Airbyte. Um, and mm-hmm. so we started Airbyte uh, January 1st, uh, 2020 at midnight. So, uh, and we've been at it since, uh, since then. <laughs> nice. So I'm going to ask the big answer or the big question first, and then we'll work backwards from there. Are we ever going to get to a point where we don't have to move data all the time? Or is this something that's going to be with us forever? I think it's going to be with us forever. The thing is data. Data is an asset and everybody wants to keep the asset to themselves. So what you're going to, and people also are relying more and more on external services, vendors. And these vendors, they know that if they have the data, they have an asset that is important. So there is, like, ideally, you would want to have all the data in one place, but that's never going to happen. So what you need to do at that point is, like, how do you make it happen? Uh, But data movements will always be there just Mm -hmm. because data has value in one place, but it can have another value in a different place. So you, you might want to move that data over there. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's a function of that data. Well, is is different than other assets in an organization, and that there's not a scarcity of data. It's like data data can be moved and it can be replicated and and used in its exact same form in other places. And if we want to create these architectures that are highly aligned and loosely coupled so that we can take independent action, it kind of means that you're going to need to replicate that. You're going to have to copy it, move it somewhere as you continue to to transform it and what have you. Would you, would you agree with that? 100%. And you know, data is good. You can use it for analysis. You can use it for operational use case, but it's always a matter of like, how do you activate it? And you don't activate the data the same way if it's in a warehouse versus if it's on Salesforce, whether it's on HubSpot, whether it's on a a data lake, you're going to have different use cases. So you need to make sure that you can have access to these use cases and this way of activating the data. And yes, you have to move it to, to, to get there. Right. And so, so in your career, like it, 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 I share a lot of parallels with, uh, in my career, cause I started out in the financial industry doing a lot of data engineering work, you know, business intelligence and data systems and you're moving data and you're transforming it. And it kind of led me down this path of like data governance and, um, you know, the, the kind of business side of it. But for you, you've kind of doubled down into the data engineering place to build a company around ELT and data transformations and these connectors and, and all of that. What is it about this space, this kind of broad data engineering world? Why do you like this? Like what, what calls to you there? So I think what we've seen over the past 10 years is there's been a shift in who is consuming the data. It's, data used to be a data engineering job. Mm-hmm. Only data, like only an engineer could do something with the data. Mm-hmm. And 
you could have seen like Hadoop was great, but it was very complex to use. Hive is great, but it's very complex to use. Like Spark is great, but it's also complex to use. And the thing is, at some point with the volume of data and the amount of analysis we want to do on this data, engineering becomes a bottleneck. And what we've seen actually is a new generation of data warehouse that are extremely powerful, extremely simple to use. And also we've seen that the the side after the warehouse in the data value chain mm-hmm. is extremely mature. You have a lot of things around like BI tools around uh, um, dashboarding about analysis, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But if you look at how do you actually bring the data to the warehouse, this is a very immature space where, because the, the it is a technical product and it is something that has changed. Like data where you don't put data in a data warehouse the same way you would put data on a file system. Mm-hmm. And that is why it, it's an interest. It's a very hard problem. And of course, I I think hard problems are the best places to, <laughs> uh, to, uh, to, to, to build a product in. And that's also something that every single company is doing. And they don't realize that. I mean, they do realize the, the thing is the data integration is never the end goal. Mm-hmm. It is only an enabler. So you don't feel the need that you might need to build something more generic. It's just you're going to do it because you need it for your product. If we can come up with a solution that allows you to just focus on your product and enable your product, uh-huh. then we have a winning product at that point. Yeah, I think you make some really good points in there because I think about like data usage has been democratized. Everybody has a phone or two near them right now that they are using data constantly on. And just because we use data does not necessarily mean we are well equipped to do all of the things necessary to take source data and make it into its final form that we're so used to uh, working with. And the investment that I've identified has been there's there's so much effort in that last mile where it actually hits the human. There's a lot that's there with visualizations and reporting tools and all of that. There's far less in the kind of space that you're playing with the the transformations with the the data management is another piece of this and the mm-hmm. just the 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 plumbing and the piping of making that happen is still way harder than it should be especially when compared to those end user tools like those consolidated data platforms where it kind of combines a bunch of those features into like an in-memory database that can also do um all of these visualizations and stuff and that, that's fine but that's not sufficient for every kind of use case, especially when you start talking about terabytes. That's not something that you're going to put into memory on a laptop and say, here, this is going to be a sufficient uh, use for or a sufficient platform for the kind of need that you would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really about how do you enable people that are less technical to do a lot more with data? Mm-hmm. And as I, I was saying, yeah, the, the part after the warehouse, fairly mature. Mm-hmm. But right now, they are not being enabled on getting the data in. And mm-hmm. that's where you need to think about data the same way as the the right side of the warehouse has mm-hmm. been thinking about, which is simplifying and enabling users and also unburdening data teams. So around the the amount of work, because I've, I've been in organizations big and small that are doing work with data. And, and, and one of your points there is that it's a lot of effort to manage these data pipelines and to even 
one of my big challenges at the moment is figuring out how can I effectively manage business rules and effectively manage data pipelines when both are in a constant state of evolution. And I have some resources that I can deploy, but never, it seems, enough to do this at the scale that the demand would warrant. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really curious how, how do you attempt to solve this? Like, what is, how does Airbyte start to address these kinds of challenges? Cause I think it could be an enormous opportunity if you're able to, to kind of crack that nut on, on, you know, making it easier to move very large amounts of data and, and plug in some of these advanced logic. Cause it's the complexity and figuring out what should you be doing is mm-hmm. as hard at least as going out and actually doing it. Right. Yeah, and I think it's it's because data is not an engineer. It, I mean, it is an engineering problem, but it's before everything else. It is an organization problem, which is every single company has different uh, intent of what they want to do with the data, and it is extremely extremely hard to create a system that can address every single use case on the planet. Like mm-hmm. every single organization will have a different need. Yeah. Whether because they don't, they don't they have a, a specific type of skill, a specific type of business, a specific type of data, different places where the data is. And what we've seen over the at the really at the, in the late 2000 uh, mid uh, 2010 is we have like a lot of very horizontal solution. Mm-hmm. And the problem is with this horizontal solution is first of all they are generally adopted like Top down, which is, I, this is what I think matter. Mm-hmm. Let's implement it. But in the end, these decisions that are top down, they, I think, they often underestimate and don't take enough into account, like the actual user and consumer of that data. Mm. We're seeing today a trend which is we are verticalizing every single pieces of the data value chain. Mm -hmm. And by verticalizing it, you start having building blocks. I mean, and people are starting to think of data not as a gigantic pipeline that is completely horizontal, fully manage everything. They're starting to see that as my data is going through a sequence of steps. Mm -hmm. And now I am gonna pick the product that is the best in breed or the one that is actually solving this particular problem that I have at this step of my data pipeline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at the, the open source uh, ecosystem, you can see why does Airflow, why has Airflow been so successful? Why are that manager been so successful? Is because they are starting to control and give you the flexibility to control how the data is flowing from beginning to end. And it's just a matter now of plugging things in. And when you look at Airbyte, we don't want to own the whole value chain. That's not what we are here for. What we want is to make sure that we are the best at everything that is about moving the data. We don't care about the rest. We might have additional feature on top of that around like quality, control, um, uh, security, and like privacy. But the overall thing, goal is building the best of breed for moving data. And then there are other solutions that are going to be amazing for transforming this data 
and solving all this complexity. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it is going to become um, like a sequence of operation. And that is, and, and the consumer will be, will have the choice of what building block is going to help me do my job better mm -hmm. and, and get the best insight. So I think this is how the, the data stack is evolving. And this is what is going to enable um, organization to be extremely agile with how they think about data. Because, you know, mm -hmm. you might have like a marketing team that wants to do data, but they don't have the, the same need as a data scientist on the other side. And you want these two teams to have the control on which tools they use to get the best out of the, out, out of the data. And that doesn't work with an horizontal solution. Right. So, and obviously you're, you're, you know, building this as, as part of the open source community. And so to some extent, you're going to be relying on, um, you know, contributions and creating this, this network of people that are building these connectors and, and doing these things. Help me understand how, like, what parts of Airbyte are you and your team directly building and curating to, to help create this ecosystem? And, and what parts are you looking to the community to build out this functionality and, and, and to add to this? Cause it's, it's, I, it's not clear to me yet, but I, I'm really curious because I think you really nailed something in terms of, an, an unmet need that that if addressed well could save a tremendous amount of energy and that that really interests me so help me understand where where does airbyte leave off and the community pick up yeah so first of all not every project is good for open source not every feature is good for open source and you know we've always operated under this etl paradigm and the problem with ETL is the transformation is a hard piece that is very specific to your business. So it's basically your business logic, yeah. which means that when you do ETL, extract, transform, and load, mm -hmm. you're basically injecting your business logic while your data is in transit between a source and a destination, right. which makes it extremely hard to create general purpose extract and loader mm -hmm. because you have the, the business logic somewhere. So it's hard to share. Mm -hmm. And you've seen a ton of companies building all these uh, ETL pipeline internally. Mm -hmm. If you start thinking about, and it has other like uh, shortcoming, which is once the trans once the data has been transformed, it's really hard to go back to the initial data, the raw data. So if you want to increase, like do something else with the data on different type of analysis, you need to re-import all of the data. So it's very, very costly for organization. Now, if you're thinking of it as ELT, it's extract and load. So when you say extract and load, there is no more business logic in it. And that is where it is a, a, um, a mature idea for uh, and ready to be open source. Because if it's general purpose, it works for, for open source. It means it, it can be commoditized. Mm -hmm. And what... Like the, what the core team is doing with Airbyte is really focusing on the core, like the, the, the scheduling, the configuration, uh, the monitoring of these connectors. What we're building uh, with the community is what we call the connector infrastructure, meaning how do you build a connector? How do you bring the cost of building connector solo? that you become the de facto standard for building connectors. And we're putting a lot of effort on what we call the data protocol, which is about exchanging data between a source and a destination. And on top of that, once you have this protocol, you can start building 
abstraction so that people can build connector extremely fast. We actually released a, a, what we call a CDK, like connector development kit, which allows users to build these connectors, contribute to the community, and now other people can use that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is really what we have in mind. I mean, we also have contributors on the core piece, but mm-hmm. I think today what we're focusing a lot is on the on the connector piece. Sure, that, that makes a lot of sense. So help me understand, because, you know, my... There's a couple directions I want to go at the same time, but I, I will have to pick one. Um, and, and so the first one I will pick is, is as Airbyte, is your target market like small and mid-sized businesses or large businesses, businesses of any size? Like how do you um, how do you say like when we go to market as an organization, the, this is our perfect customer. Like these are the people that should be working with us. Help me understand that. I mean – Obviously, I would like to tell you it's everybody who has data and who needs to move data. Mm. It is more a matter of maturity for us mm. where, you know, we started in 2020 and actually we pivoted in July. So we really started since July. Okay. Uh, so I would say today that the ideal customer for us or user for us is an individual contributor in the data team at a startup to mid-market company. where okay. Because that's where we are mature for. Now, obviously, we also want to uh, address the enterprise uh, use cases. But first of all, we, have, we need to add more features that are relevant to enterprise. But also, we need to have a stronger coverage of uh, enterprise sources and destinations. Mm-hmm. which is not something that we have. But as we build this feature and as we get more people like playing with Airbyte and building connectors that they need at their enterprises, that's how we're going to bootstrap and start ramping up these connectors that are very relevant to that uh, uh, type of customers. Um, but yeah, that's basically how we're doing it. And, you know, we we, we launched it in, a, we launched the MVP in end of um, uh, September, 2020. Mm-hmm. We've, Today, we have over like 2,000 companies who have been using Airbyte to replicate data. Uh, so some of them are really like in testing phases, but it really shows that we're not focusing on one particular company. But mm-hmm. when we look at the list of companies who are testing, it's just everywhere, all over the place. Like everybody has this data problem. Everybody is looking for a solution for it. Mm-hmm. No, that that helps me a lot understand uh, what where Airbyte fits. And I think it's a smart move because, I mean, this is a complicated, crowded, big space in, in ELT, ETL, data movements and transformation. There's huge solutions. I mean, you can look back and like you've got your SSIS from way back in the day and, and other, you know, um, you know, newer cloud based, you know, do it all for everybody types of engines. But what this, what you're saying, and and I think I'm interpreting correctly is like, this is a tool that really is there to accelerate the work that engineers themselves or engineering teams that have to do a lot of this stuff. And, and believe me, I know what it's like to be that kind of one person in a hundred or 300 person organization who has to do a tremendous amount just on their own shoulders to be able to tap into stuff that that has a community around and that that I can figure things out or I can make it my own, even though my particular need is a little bit different than that one that's already been created, that I think will allow you. And it really doesn't surprise me that you've already got 2000 different organizations that have picked up on that because it is an accessible um 
you know, tool that it, it's, it's playing in a narrower, um, scope. But in doing that narrower scope, you can have a focus on delivering to that scope extremely well. And nobody's going to hold you to that for the next 10 years. You can expand. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I want to kind of take a little bit of this conversation, because I think there's a lot of folks out there that'll be loving this, like me, because I come from a data engineering space. And then there's going to be a lot of folks that listen to this podcast that are coming more from the business side or entrepreneurial side. And they're going to say, I didn't understand a single thing other than your mispronunciation of the name to begin with. And then at that point, I, I have nothing uh, in terms of understanding what's going on. But the um, but what I would like to I want you to put your CEO hat on a little bit as, mm -hmm. as you're in a pretty early stage um, effort here, you've, you're, you've got something like, you know, you've got something at this point, you've gotten some funding and, and, and that's good. But the thing that I would imagine would be a difficult um, challenge for you as, a, as the leader of an organization that's growing and, and trying to find a foothold in this marketplace is kind of the flip side of the conversation we're just having around who uses this. How do you find that person is, how do you, as a leader of an organization that's trying to find its niche, how do you differentiate yourself from the other solutions that are out there? Because as we described, there's a lot of players in this space, and I've done this stuff for 20 years, and I have no idea who half of them are. And so how do mm -hmm. you... How do you elevate to be the thing that I'm going to think about other than going on podcasts like the Algman Data Leadership Data Leadership Lessons podcast? Um, subscribe today. But the, um, you know, how do you do that kind of connection to those organizations that should be using you? Cause like there's got to be so many out there that could really benefit from this. How do you separate yourself? Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to give a few examples. I'm going to say Hadoop. Even if you're not a technical person, you've heard of the word Hadoop. Yeah. And even if you don't know exactly what it does, you understand that it's an, it's an older technology, So, but you, you know what it's trying to solve, mm -hmm. data. And what we've seen, and that's also, as, as, the, as the CEO of Airbyte, I believe extremely strongly, is data because it is so critical to your organization, because it is so custom to your organization, open source has always won the category for, like the category it's in for data, mm -hmm. except maybe the warehouses piece, because warehouses require a different type of, of mindset, but the rest of the data ecosystem has mm -hmm. always been dominated by open source for exactly the reason that you mentioned before, which is I need to customize something. I need to do something for my own need. And I can package it also in a different way. So here you have a marketing team in your organization. It's almost impossible that you will find the tool that works for your marketing team. But you have the ability to build something potentially internally just to interface with that team. But the, the rest, you don't want your team to be building it. You just want them to own like the interface with this marketing team. And at that point, it's really open source is not, uh, in the end, like open source dominates every single domain in which it's, it intervenes because it allows organization 
to to model the tool the way they want. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the most important part. And this is the main differentiator. It gives you control on your cost. Yes, you're trading, maybe paying a vendor for like maybe hiring someone to maintain or like I hiring some talent. But in the end, it is always about the control that you have on how you're building your organization and how you're building the like the internals of your organization. And open source does that for you. So and and nobody can do something better than having a thousand organization testing your product, using your product and contributing to your product. Mm -hmm. If it's just one organization doing that, you will always have an hour of view of what you can do, of the issue that you encounter in the use case that you encounter. So you will always create a limited product. Whereas with open source, you are exposed to everything. And here also you can see that the strategy for approaching companies is also very different. We don't have sales cycle, like long sales cycle. What happened is you get inbound mm -hmm. because in the end, this type of decision are shifting from being made top down to becoming more bottom up. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you also are you approaching the market for, for, for data users, which is you are selling to data user. You're not selling to manager or exec. Because they will understand this is solving my problem. This is going to make me look good with my team, with the rest of my of the organization. I'm going to use it. It's it becomes like a productivity tools almost for them. Mm -hmm. And then that's how you you get in, and that's how you expand. And once you expand, you're here to stay because you start taking more and more of these like mission critical use cases, mm -hmm. and that has always been the the, the the business model for, for open source. In addition to, it allows you to take, to be less mature and to start talking with customers that would never have considered you if you were a commercial organization that was not mature because mm -hmm. they know that, okay, worst case, I still have access to the code base. So there is, it's not just about, it's about the contributor, but it's also about inspiring confidence to early adopters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and I do like, I like that this could be, a tool that an individual starts to use inside a team. And, and, and I've been doing this with teams with like, um, you know, SQL managers for a long time where it's like, whatever tool you want, go get that tool. Like, I don't care how you go about doing it. Use the tool that works for you. And, and I think that's a great mm -hmm. entree point for your, um, your company, your software to start to get a foothold. And if it's, and if it's performant, they're going to share that with others and it's going to become more of a standard and everybody's going to use it. And so then it, it kind of grows from there. And I think that's, I think that's great. And I think, you know, talking about open source in, in the data space, I think is interesting because there's some areas that open source has made huge inroads. Um, and has, has, I still think in some ways data, uh, generally can still be the last frontier or the, 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 the next frontier for open source because there are plenty of organizations, especially larger organizations, but some organizations that have just had, you know, they've had their Microsoft licenses forever and they just use SQL Server because that's what they have. And, and they're starting to see the benefits of open source. And so for those folks that are out there and as the data space starts to get more agile, starts to do things more in a DevOps way, which is, it's still lagging. It's lagging behind the application development side of the house in, in a big way. Um, as that happens for those folks that are in that kind of stage, that, that early stage of the journey to doing more open source and doing more agile things, 
Can you just address, like, should I be concerned if I'm running a team or, or, or an organization that's doing it's at that part of the journey. Should I be worried about if, you know, it sounds great to have a thousand people helping me build this thing better, but should I be worried about that from a security perspective or from a, um, you know, a, a potential liability perspective or, or just getting through InfoSec? Like some of those fears, can you talk about that a little bit and, and how do we overcome some of those fears in, in the space to make open source even more relevant in the data community? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, it's a very general argument, but it's one that we believe a lot in is, and it goes back to what I was saying before, which is if you have a security issue, you have more chance that you will find it. If you have a thousand people using your product and having access to the code, than if it's a single organization that owns the code and don't share it. Right. And it has always been like that. Uh, and, you know, even if, for example, you know, we, we had this hard bleed uh, bug a few years ago, which basically broke internet security completely. <laughs> and imagine if we had, did not have access to the source code for that technology, right. like it would still be. So it is, it is impossible to have the most secure environment. There will always be something uh, that will break one way or another, but the more eyes you have on it and the more control people have on it, the sooner you will discover them and fix them and making it harder and harder and harder to, to, uh, to impact the security of that system. And after that, for data, in general, it is something that's very sensitive to, to companies. So you see, for example, there are a lot of vendors in that space, but a lot of the solutions are actually, are actually hosted solutions, whereas they require their customer to ship the data on their infrastructure. This is the worst security problem that you can have is suddenly you're letting the, your internal data or your internal asset to escape to someone else. Mm -hmm. And with open source, suddenly you have a way of, oh, you know what, actually I can do it in house. I mean, yes, I will have to pay something for that security, but if you have a security budget for it, then you will take the cost. It is, and it's, Today, it's a lot harder to have this type of application that can run on your uh, on your infrastructure. But open source is a very good candidate for it. And so I think actually here, this is really where open source addresses the security point. But yes, there will always be a security issue somewhere. Just how do you, like what kind of security you put around the system mm -hmm. to ensure that even if there is something with the application that is broken, how do you make sure? It doesn't leak. You cannot do that with a vendor. Yeah, I think, and, and I'll paraphrase, but what I take from your, your response, I think is very strong in that you have a choice in any organization as to whether or not, do you want to really address security and make it more secure, or do you want to ignore it and pretend everything's okay because you don't have all the information? And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's the way I would kind of think about that is like, if I want to ignore it and hope you can do whatever you want that. But if you really want to address where the holes are, find the holes, find the challenges and address them open source because of its community nature of sharing those insights and, and securing things together, it's inherently going to be a much better mechanism um, than you really could ever do on your own. And that's that actually is a true statement, regardless of how large your organization is, because you're going to have a limited perspective that you just can't 
broaden enough as an individual organization compared to a collection of a bunch of organizations looking at it from every different perspective. An analogy could be like you could never light up something as well with one light, no matter how big it is coming from one direction, as you could with a whole bunch of lights surrounding it. And that, I think, is, mm-hmm. is maybe an argument um, that could apply to, to this open source argument as well. So I'm curious from your perspective. We only have a few minutes left, but. I'm I'm really curious. It's like I feel in this space while we're making progress and and you're seeing different things happening and how they're repackaging different functionality and different uh, packages and, and different offerings and different companies and all that. I feel like though we're not quite where we're going. And in your mind, where do you see this world of data movements and transformations and the cloud and security and open source? How is this? evolving today and where do you see this going in the next five or ten years like what what do you imagine is ha- is where we are in five or ten years from now yeah i think what you will have is you have roles that today know nothing about data be enabled to do something with data like you were talking about a marketing team a sales team mm-hmm. they work with customers they work with ads they work with um, um, case study. They, but th- th- they generally rely on someone else to do that data. And the problem is, by doing so, they generally get a partial view, or it's 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 a huge budget for them to to get these insights. I, I think what we're going to see is the people who are making decision and who are controlling like this data flow is going to go to roles that are less and less technical, but it's going to go closer and closer to the end user of that data and to the end user of the analysis. And what I, the, the way we see the, and the thing is, it means that a lot more people in the company will have access to that data. And the way I see things happening with data is you will get a ton more product that are going to be around like security, data documentation, ro- m- security like access uh who has access to the data who can do what who did what and it's going to be more around enabling these roles while still having the guardrails to make sure that people do the right thing with the data and the thing is if you have this guardrail then you can just free buffet everybody should have access to that data and do the analysis that they want and that is relevant for their day-to-day work um, so it's, it's really an evolution from data going to spheres that are not just engineering or not just like extremely data technical people. Yeah. And, and, and I think that Airbyte could be a really big part of that because and, and as you're addressing today, the needs of that data engineer that is still critical to that path. Over time, mm-hmm. you can help drive that democratization of data engineering processes, of those ELT and, and data movement types of processes to where it can be effectively orchestrated by people that have less technical, less coding background, and that they can start to make these things happen. Because if we can do that, the kind of explosion we could have in the the opportunities for data could be tremendous, just like they have been in that last mile, uh, you know, data visualization and analytics space. Like we've seen so much growth there 
I have to imagine mm-hmm. there's potential in that middle of the data value chain as well. And I think that's that's an exciting place. This is this has got to be a fun business to be creating and, and working with all the time um, because you can see that potential and it's it's like hiding in plain sight. I'm so glad that we've had the opportunity to kind of talk about this and learn more about Airbyte, learn more about you. I kind of start thinking about where is this all heading as as things go on, and and unfortunately for today, we're we're pretty much out of time. So, uh, Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. this. Has been a fun conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Anthony. Yeah, it was great being able to to share about how how we think about the data the data space. Yeah, in, uh, incredible. I hope everyone out there really appreciates uh, some of this that we talked about today because it, it is very meaningful and I think a little bit different than some of the stuff that we've talked about in in recent episodes. So hopefully uh, it gets the wheels turning for you. And, and I think, uh, Michelle, that, that, that has been a um, very helpful conversation. And so uh, thank you all out there for watching or listening today. In the show notes, you'll find useful links and more information about today's topic. Follow Data Data Leadership Lessons on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Check out my book at dataleadershipbook.com and use promo code ALGMANDL at the Dataversity Training Center for 20% off your first purchase. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. 